Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK, where we apply the practical philosophy of objectivism to everything, mostly current events. But today we're going to be talking about addiction. Uh, now, I think the conventional wisdom out there is that addiction is a disease. If you go to a 12-step program, they talk about, say, alcoholism and drug addiction as diseases that you have no will power over. If you read the big book, even in Alcoholics Anonymous, it will it will refer to alcoholism as an allergy in which peop, certain people have this allergy that I guess commits their body to this disease in a way that other people don't. I have real problems with this issue. Um, I personally do not think that addiction is a disease. I think that's one more way of um, divorcing yourself from moral agency over your life. That's not to say that addictions don't affect your body, that they can't cause dependencies, and that it, it can become extremely dangerous uh, to come off of certain addictions that you have, and you have to do it guided by a physician. But uh, namely, that's just dealing with physical discomfort and physical harms that you've caused yourself. Otherwise, to me, an addiction is a bad habit. And a bad habit is oftentimes something you engage in to avoid or evade something. Now that, that's sort of my overall my overall premise um, to, to question that, to pick it apart, to maybe even tell me I'm wrong. We've got Josh Dixon here, who is a psychologist. So he's trained in this, uh, in this field uh, specifically, and he can help me walk through this issue with addiction. Josh, great to have you on the show. What do you think of this, uh, of addiction? Is it a disease? Am I wrong? Well, a really good question. Um, I'm going to preface all of this by saying, you know, I started off my first kind of job in this world was as a, as an addictions counselor. So I'm very familiar with 12 step programs, non 12 step programs, into various kinds of interventions. And I will just and on heart say at the beginning that the most effective programs for addiction by far are 12 step programs. They work and you can just look at the data on this they have the, the longest outcome the best outcome studies by far and what i will say is if you treat addiction like a disease it doesn't have to be called a disease it may be you could call it a, a certain kind of condition but when it's treated as like a disease you get the best results and it's often referred to in our circles a bit like uh diabetes now, diabetes can be self-caused, but it does then become a disease that then needs to be treated as a disease. I'm talking about the type of diabetes that comes from um, adult or, onset diabetes. From yes, eating exactly. Too much, eating yeah. too much and so on. And that is a definitely a disease. It's a chronic. Some people call it a chronic condition or a chronic disease. And I would say that addiction is very similar to that. And that, that analogy works very well in its treatment. And it's what we would say to someone is, you know, you, you are still responsible for treating your diabetes. You know, if you don't take your medicine for that or something like that, you are the one responsible for that. But it, it, you have to recognize that it is there and that it needs treating in certain ways. And that's just, that's been my experience. Now I, I hear where you're saying now in the, in the, um, in the literature of both Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, they talk about addiction being a threefold illness. It's spiritual, and that's really the, the part that's to do with one's, what we would, in our, within our context, consciousness and free will. It's all to do with the decisions and your values and 
the way you go against your values and things like that, that, that it is also physical, that there is a physical element to addiction and that there is also a mental aspect to addiction. And when they talk about mental aspect in the literature, what they mean is a, a, a particular type of obsessive thinking that seems to go hand in hand with addiction. So that's that's what I'll say just to begin with. And I think that I probably say quite a few things that probably got your mind ticking. So I'm looking forward to hearing hearing what you have to say or, you, or what you might want to discuss out of what I've just said. Now, now, granted, I'm going to be coming at it from a different from the person who's been in programs and from, from a person who's got pushed people into programs. Uh, I had a friend who tried to drink himself to death. He was a, he was yeah. definitely an alcoholic. Uh, I went over to his house after a five-day binge that he'd had. I hadn't heard from him, so I was concerned for his well-being. I did a welfare check on him. Empty bottles of booze all over the place. He he, he was. Uh, it looked like he was going to be on the verge of death, and and said that was his intention. I said, "You got to get into a program, man. You got to get into a twelve-step program." He was an atheist. He said, "I can't deal with the God thing." Well, I said, "Look, uh, your your atheism isn't helping you now." And yeah. and and even though they embed a lot of religious uh, a, a lot of religious ideology in these twelve step programs, the one thing that I think the program um, gives them is a philosophy, a step by step way of dealing with stress that they didn't have before. I found that the, a lot of the people that I've met in these programs have a couple of characteristics in common. Like you said, there's obsessive thinking going on that they can't seem to get a handle on. There seems to be a bit of a narcissism in in their in the, the at least they present to me in the way they view the world and the the idea of service helps them step out of that a little bit see the world around them a little bit because they're very internally engaged they're not really external externalized they're reactive to the external environment but they're not really externalized in the way that we objectivists think that a person should take in their environment and and so the acts of service gets them off of that internal focus and, and germinating the steps provide them with a, a, an outlook on the world and an active way of approaching the world as opposed to the the disappearing passive way of dealing with feelings that they're crushing and evading through their drug use what say you to mm. that well i i'm i'm i am a big fan of 12-step programs they are not ideal but they are predominantly rational and, yes. or most of it is rational and it provides what, what a 12-step program is all about fundamentally is teaching people how to take responsibility for themselves teaching them how to take responsibility for the decisions for their past and for their future as yes. well as the present and that it's 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 a full-on program i mean step four where you're taking a full moral inventory of yourself this is something that people rarely do anyone rarely does in their whole life and so it gives gives people a tremendous opportunity to really explore and know themselves and do a lot of introspection. The so it's forcing, aspect, it's forcing, Josh, it's forcing them yeah. to be conscious and conscientious about their life in a way that they're using the drug of choice or the addiction of, of choice to, to numb that awareness. Right. I mean, if, if I, I read a book by Stanton Salmonell called inside the criminal mind, he, he had a, a great deal of success in reducing the recidivism rate of criminals who exploit systems that are all about focusing on their emotions and compassion for them because his system was about changing their thinking. And it seems like this, by way of a program that hustles in a little bit of re religion is about changing their thinking. It's about changing their orientation to themselves, making them more conscious of their own feelings and their relationship to the world. 
Well, all of that's true. And they, they often talk about their stinking thinking that needs to be fixed. And they often talk about when people say, oh, it's a brainwashing cult. And they'll often say, well, actually, I need my brain to be washed. That's one of the most important things. That's one of the things I've never done. The, the religious angle is, in my mind, unfortunate. But what it came from, some predominantly more religious types in the 1930s in Ohio, who had been very influenced by the Oxford group that had five steps. So when it, when they first were formulating it, they wanted it to be like they wanted to talk about God. And then loads of people reacted against this and said, well, it has to be the God of your understanding. And that can be anything you like. So a lot of atheists will. I, I, I don't have much truck with people who say I have a problem with the God thing, because if you actually turn up and you go and you read the literature, it's not a God in terms of the God of of religion it's basically saying not yourself and there's actually some very there's something i found online leonard peikoff talking about um aa and ayn rand even writes a little bit about aa and in, in philosophy the unknown ideal um i don't know if you remember that but she talks about how alcoholics anonymous is, is based basically on the serenity prayer and how much respect she has for the serenity yes prayer. that's a great prayer yeah it's a great well the beginning part of the prayer is great. If you read the whole prayer, it's, it's, it's a very that's the only part. Of, that's, beast. that's the only part I know from all the programs. That yeah, I've, I've exactly. Yeah. But it's a great prayer because it's it's all about reality and being tied to reality and how you must you must accept reality as as the fundamental. So twelve step programs, you know, the, the service element is interesting because it's basically a program that's it's a basically a program about win win. It's it's if I reach out to help you, I feel better. So and the whole program was founded upon this principle that when A reaches out to B, A gets better. And. And that was pointed out to Bill Wilson by his wife, that she noticed that he was trying to help all these alcoholics and they just weren't interested. But in the act of trying to help them, he was saving his own life. So a lot of people in the 12 step programs refer to the program as, as a as a um a program of enlightened self-interest you'll hear this all the time so it's not quite where you and i might want it to be but it's it, i think the reason it's been so successful is because of the aspects of it that are tied to reality and are rational and the bits that aren't quite so are the part the parts that people don't do so well with but then well, there this are is very this is an interesting yeah. thing that I, I want to jump on real quickly because people often tell me I'm giving back to my community because I teach acting and sometimes I teach for free just for the simple joy of teaching. And I keep telling them, well, am I, I, maybe I'm giving back to you, but I actually learn a great deal from teaching. I actually become better, a better actor by teaching the principles. And my the jujitsu school I study in, it's all about the higher belts passing on wisdom to the, old, yeah, to the lower exactly. belts. And you become better at what you do, more subtle and practiced in your techniques, just like you are give, rendering service to somebody who, who's been in the same spot that you are, you were in a year ago, you can help them through that. That shines a light brighter inside of you as well. It makes you smarter. It makes you healthier. It makes you more capable of dealing with the reality around you, right? So I, so I feel- 100%. Yeah. So I feel like, I, I don't know if we answered this yet, that addiction- I mean, you sort of said it can start out one way, but then it becomes a physical uh, problem of disease that you have to deal with. But is it a disease or is it a, is it a, a just a, a, a form of evasion, a, a, a method of coping that is an attempt to evade 
reality and the program brings you to reality forces you to see reality yeah so a recovery program forces you to see reality addiction is an escape and it's an escape from usually but not exclusively um trauma so it's it's it, you know we we talk about it a lot of the time and when we're working with clients when you're working in in rehab the last thing you want to be doing is right, really getting on someone's back and drill, you know, smashing them to pieces when they're already smashed to pieces. So we usually find in treatment and in therapy that should come a bit later. In the beginning, we're just like, okay, this is this is a situation that's you know, you have self-medicated something that ninety-nine percent of people in the world would do themselves as well. I mean, the horror stories that the horrific things that most addicts have been through. A lot of people would be like, yeah, I don't blame them for having a drink or shooting up or anything. And it's no one sets. The, the sad thing is when you when you interview people and they're being in an honest place, none, no one sets out to become an addict. It's not something that like someone says. I mean, there are a few people who are attracted to certain novels and things, you know, that people like to reference. But in general, no one wants a, that kind of life of suffering, but they're usually coming from one form of suffering. And they get temporary relief for a while. Mm. And that's what causes that's what causes the dilemma in people. Because when you interview addicts, they say that they use to feel normal. They don't say I use to be high. They might say that right in the beginning when they're 13, 14, 15 years old. But 99, you know, ne nearly the whole time they're reporting that I drank or I took a few pills i did everything just so i could function so i could be normal and that and that's really sad when you if you think about that like what's going on there and it's usually rooted tra in trauma but not exclusive to trauma this is what because i work a lot i work a lot i'm a, 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 primarily a, a trauma expert these days and a positive psychologist but i meet a lot of people every addict that i know and have worked with has a, a history of usually developmental trauma usually usually terrible parenting and some kind of event that happens in their teenage years that accelerates them to another place. But I've worked with a lot of people who are very traumatized who aren't addicts. And so there are, there are a couple of other things going on, or at least one other thing going on. So in the AA big book, they talk about an allergy in narcotics anonymous. There's more of an emphasis on powerlessness, but there's something that happens to certain people when they take chemicals that doesn't happen to other people. And I've seen this and witnessed this and know this to be true, that there are certain, certain things happen to someone's brain or their nervous system or their physiology that takes them to a very different place in the same way that people with ADHD, people who really have ADHD, and they take certain stimulants, they calm down where everyone else gets hyper and manic. And there's something in addiction that addicts have this thing where once they start, they cannot stop or they cannot predict what will happen to them. And so are you, are you saying that, are you saying that the trauma maybe rewires their system, even their brain changes the, bi the biochemistry I'm of the brain in a way? I'm not sure because the, the, the counter to that from my own experience is why are there lots of people who are very traumatized that aren't addicts that don't have that powerless angle. So that may, may be the genetic part to the condition. If we want to call it maybe a condition, there are definitely people who are much more predisposed to addiction. You see it runs very strongly in families. And a lot of the, 
I know they're correlation studies, but the studies of identical twins separated at birth is quite staggering how how many identical twins, if one is alcoholic, the other is alcoholic. Hmm. There definitely is, seems to be a strong, and it, what it is, is it's not, I don't believe that it's not that there's a gene that says, hey, Mark is going to smash himself to pieces of alcohol. It may be a, a gene that predisposes you to some form of depression or something like that. That means, because all addicts talk about having this hole in their soul and that they've had that hole in their soul way before they picked up drugs or alcohol, going all the way back to five, six, seven. Now, in the old days, they would have thought that that was probably some spiritual, quasi-religious reason for that. Now, as we understand much more about attachment theory and how kids need to bond with parents, and if they don't have that, I mean, you only have to look at kids raised in orphanages in Romania to see the damage of not having any form of even mild parental figure and i think mm. that's what a lot of addicts are referring to is this emptiness that they have inside because they were never really you, i've just heard in treatment i've heard so many life stories and the similarities are so uncanny that there's definitely some very strong patterns and uh what's a good way of describing it patterns and events that people go through that seem to predispose people towards addiction yeah i, I definitely feel like uh, our psyches are formed a, 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 a big part of our psyche maybe what rand would attribute to our, our sense of life, sense of life. Is, yeah. is is formed at a preconceptual stage it's so once that's sort of set in you it's it's really hard to to dislodge it, right? And to change it and to shift it. It takes a great deal of work to change it. And it might never, ever quite leave you because it seems like the evaluation is at a cellular level. Yeah, I, I agree. And I find this when working with trauma that we talk about the pre and post conceptual stage of growth. So if, if someone is like horribly abused before the age of seven, it's very much encoded in a very deeply emotional way that a child you know when they reference that that trauma they will reference it like they were scared and they didn't really know what was happening but it made them uncomfortable or something like that over the age of sort of seven eight which we call when kids really become much more conceptual they're much more like he was a bad man that was a bad thing that happened to me so the way things are encoded are very different at, at different ages and you're quite right this it is, you see a sense of life that a lot of addicts have a very cynical, dark sense of life. And that's one of the wonderful things about 12-step programs is the programs often infuse a lot of joy and help people really turn around their sense of life. But I think, I think you're but you right. Think that, but do you think that joy comes from that, that sort of, a, 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 how do I say it? Like the snowball effect of doing good yeah, you know, and seeing yourself as efficacious in the world actually makes you feel good, and then it becomes sort of a self fulfilling. Yeah. I see the opposite huge, does. Yeah, I see. A, I see this all the time, particularly um, around service. That what service in twelve step programs does is it really teaches, improves people's self esteem. Because as we know, self esteem asks two questions of you: Am I able and am I worthy? And a lot of addicts aren't able. They've lost. They have no skills really, except hustling and maybe being charming and having the gift of the gab and all those sorts of things. But they go to 12-step meetings, which don't cost anything, and they learn 
they become a, a treasurer and they learn how to manage money and they learn to be a secretary of the meeting and they learn how to, to talk loudly and how to run a meeting and they learn to be a greeter which teaches them social skills and they learn to do the tea which teaches them how to listen and there's all these so that you see people it's process program is like an accelerated maturation process yeah. so that's why you really see people if they work it um do really well but i know we, we've ended up talking much more about recovery than actual addiction itself but i would say there are three causes whether we want to call it a, a disease or a condition or i spoke about this with ben bear once you know he said isn't addiction just a, a habit i said well it is but we have different words for different extremities. You know, we have frustration, we have anger, and we have rage. You know, we use different words for different extremes of a similar emotional response. And I think addiction is is a form of habit that has gone to a to a level where it's just pure compulsion. And that's why we need residential places to break that off. So it had to start out, it had to start off as something that relieved the anxiety or stress for a time. Yeah that became sort of the positive feedback and then it it just progresses cascades. And, and it cascades and becomes i mean it becomes more prominent and more prominent in somebody's life until it's the whole thing yeah exactly this is what we see and that's what they when people talk about this concept of powerlessness powerlessness is has two kind of meanings one is that when i pick up i can't stop and the other one is that i seem to be without some kind of program i seem to be powerless at at stopping that progression or that cascade from happening. Yeah, that's interesting. So, the concept of powerlessness and how effective it is in actually endowing the addicted person with power. I mean, we don't have much time, but is there is can you talk about that a little bit? Because it seems paradoxical to me. Yeah, I mean it's it sounds paradoxical, but one way we say is I become empowered when I admit my powerlessness. So you just you just you're admitting so in it's sort of a Marcus Aurelius a stoic it's objectivist sort of concept i think where the two cross is like i get i i get uh i'm concerned about what i can deal with and i leave alone what i can't deal with i know i'm powerless over some things and i know i have power in certain arenas and i have to distinguish between the two things 100 that's exactly it and what, what, what you're talking about with powerlessness around addiction is that when i touch mood altering chemicals everything all bets go you know like I think Nils Lofgren, the musician, once said, um, my powerlessness every time I end up in handcuffs, you know, it's like, I, no yeah. matter what I try and do, I end up in this situation. That's why I don't do it. And it's like, and I like the way certain people in programs will say things like, you know, why don't you just have a drink? Why don't you just have a drink? And they said, because I don't like who I become when I drink, or I don't like the consequences of that. I can't predict what will happen if I pick up and it's not worth it, I value my life too much to do that. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. I, I remember I did a genetic, a full genetic test. And apparently I have a, a gene that is associated with overeating. And I, and I see that as a potential that I don't have to actualize. It's yeah. there. It may increase my cravings. It may make me want to eat more than I should, but I still have moral agency to act for the, my long-term interest. So I don't have to actualize that potential. And I like that somebody in the program sees it in, in similar terms. I don't like be the, the person I become. That's a potential and that I don't want to actualize. Yep. Or it was a, a reality that I don't want to go back to as well. That's usually... Um, 
I'd say that's almost a better way of looking at it. Um, I know they just have. To go, I, to, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, just like the the model that I like that explains addiction and how where it comes from is that there are three main causes. There's the antecedent cause, which is a genetic predisposition that like you're talking about, but it doesn't mean that you become the predisposition. Trauma, that's kind of like what we call the the contributory cause, something that that fires off the need for mood alteration to a new level. And it's usually actually with teenagers, kids get parents getting divorced is a big one. And when and sure, then yeah. and and then exposure. So exposure is, is the bit. Do you remember in the eighties, just say no. Yeah. This belief that drug dealers were at the school gates giving everyone, you know, it's complete mm -hmm. nonsense. But the focus exposure is just what you're being exposed to. So it's like in rehab, why are the older people usually alcoholics, and the younger ones, poly addicts. It's just the exposure, what was around at the time. But that's the, the least effective area to focus on. And a lot of those programs, those government programs, always just focused on the exposure element without looking at the other much more significant causes, which of I, course, just, of, of course they did, you know, like, of course, the government, the government yeah. shouldn't shouldn't be in that realm because they simply do that's not right. have the sophistication to be able to deal with it. We have to wrap up. Josh, there's so much we could talk about on this topic. It's very fascinating to me. I'd love to even talk more about rational recovery, how objectivism can play a part in in the recovery of an addict uh, with the spiritual components of objectivism that help people deal with issues yeah. just like this. Because I think that's very, uh, very important because I think it, the philosophy should play a very big part in a person's recovery. I just have a couple of super chats here to read. Uh, Robert, can I, Macy, can, I, can I just say one, one really quick thing about yes. genetics that I've learned um, about yeah. pre predisposition? Yes. I, have I have identical twin girls. Ident they are two years and four months. They have exactly the same DNA and they are completely different personalities. That's amazing. Which I, is amazing. Which So it blows my mind. So I, I mean, they do a lot of things the same, but they are very different. So this idea that the genes determines everything is just not true from my own experience of my daughters. I agree too. I think that's a healthy way to look at it. There, there are potential that doesn't have to be actualized. Um, it, your behavior can determine, uh, could push that floor, that ceiling, a lot of different directions if, if, um, if you take it into your hands. Um, so Robert Nasir for five dollars is definitely, uh, it's definitely about definitions. But Mark is wise to make the distinction difficult to stop uh, uh, change versus impossible to stop without intervention. But I think, Josh, you made a very good point about certain thresholds that you pass, you know, where it becomes a disease and perhaps intervention is necessary uh, because it's so intermingled with the physical with physical issues that it's almost impossible to come out, to come off of it without the uh, intervention or doctor's assistant. Wes Stewart for $10 says, fascinating conversation. Thanks. Yeah. Um, upcoming shows, folks, uh, 6 p.m. UK time, the reality show on cancel culture of GB news at 10 p.m. UK time, life on earth with Robert and Amy Nasir on do they want to live? Jonathan Honig with 99 cents. Thank you, sir. Uh, Kiana Pellegrino for a dollar. Thank you. Josh, it was very enlightening talking to you. Um, we have to we have to split because we have another show coming up in exactly two minutes. But I, I, I'd like to review this topic again and take it a little further with objectivism if you'd like to do that. That'd be great. And really good to see you and good to be back on the show. Great. Great to see you. Okay. Peace. Take care.